everybody, and welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up for a special edition, USA Rugby edition, with Mr. Ross Young, the CEO of USA Rugby, and Mr. James Brown, not the hardest working man in show business. He is Jim Brown, the executive chair of USA Rugby's Rugby World Cup bid, an acronym that we have to figure out later, Jim, but a lot of people out there know Ross, so let's let's introduce you first, Jim. One of the things that you do is that you are handling the bid or bids for USA Rugby to, to host a Rugby World Cup or Rugby World Cups. Is that not accurate? That, that's accurate. Yeah, most of my time right now is definitely dominated by preparing what we hope is a, is a successful candidature bid to host up to two Rugby World Cups in 2029 and, and 27 or 31. What is your background? I mean, how do you know how to do this kind of stuff? Because I don't know how to do it. I know Ross has had some experience in this, but why you, Jim? Well, I, I, similar to Ross, and Ross and I go back to the early part of the century where, where Ross was working at IRB at the time, and I was at FIFA putting on a very similar role that Ross had at, at the World Rugby, where I was putting on the FIFA World Cups. Ross came as a guest of ours to, to see how we delivered the, the World Cup in 2020 or 2006, a long time ago. Uh, and since then, we've been in touch and, and really in the same line of business, mine being more soccer oriented and Ross being more on the rugby side. So we've, we've known each other for a long time. And you were involved in the successful FIFA bid for the USA for 2026, correct? Yep. So I was involved in in the 2026 bid, along with other uh, soccer events here in the United States since my return to the United States in 2010. Um, and obviously the, the, the 2026 bid, I think, uh, sparked some, some interest in Ross and I to reconnect. And, and from there, I was invited to be on the USA Rugby board uh, beginning in 2018. Have you lost your marbles, Jim? <laughs> uh, there's a few few marbles still rolling around but uh yeah that was certainly a, a great experience and that rolled into uh, this bid work which started uh, last august so august of 2020 yeah as ross was telling me off camera you're like a process guy well it's the the process for a bid you know i delivered some bids when i was at fifa as well so we we gave the the soccer world cup in of 2010 to South Africa. So I was on the FIFA side of that. And we obviously were involved in the 1822 soccer exercise at FIFA. So I understand it from the owner side. And then for 2026, I was on the hosting side. So I think those combinations gave me a real sense of how to, how to operate these. And, and like you said, it's very process oriented for sure, which you have to be or else you, you'll get swallowed up by it. All right. So Ross, Rugby World Cup bids, plural, here in the United States. Uh, I am already dressed in anticipation as part of the welcoming committee with my USA Rugby colored shirt here. It's kind of Hawaiian meets white trash. Uh, <laughs> what bids are we talking about, Ross? What do we got going on, Ross? Well, I mean, the process that World Rugby instigated this time around follows on from obviously the successful hosting of the of the 2019 World Cup in Japan. Um, as Jim alluded to, I was on the other side of the fence then, and the decision was made to award two World Cups to give the opportunity to look at 
you know, developing new markets and opportunities. So when England was awarded in 2015, Japan was awarded in 2019. Um, you know, in their Council and Exco and Rugby World Cup board meetings at the end of the World Cup in Japan, they made the decision again to look at a combination of long-term strategy um, to allow the opportunity for, you know, the de developing nations, developing markets, and, and get a right, the right blend of that with, you know, established rugby countries and looking at revenue opportunities and, and opportunities to grow the game. You know, we feel that combining the hosting of, you know, a men's event in 27 or 31 allied to a women's tournament in 29 would make a really good package that we could deliver on utilising the similar resources, combining the organising effort for, for up to two. We're not going for three. We're only going for two. All right. So I got a lot of questions or stuff racing around in my head. Number one, and we'll get to this later. How do we sabotage Australia's bid for 2027? Can we use some tea and some kind of get them ill with food poisoning or something? Uh, number two, um, we're coming off chapter 11 stuff and bankruptcy stuff issues with USA rugby. Why in blazes would world rugby entrust us with, a World Cup or two? The second part of the question, Matt, is, again, is a good one. I think the, the benefit we've had is, you know, as everyone knows, World Rugby helped us through the bankruptcy process. So, you know, they know the whole warts and all situation we've been in. And they're still, they're still okay with it? Well, it, I mean, the whole sporting environment is fragile, as everyone knows. You know, the, it, it continues to be a tough time as we come back out of COVID. But I think it's important to stress work that and i think it's a good question to ask jim the huge amount of detail has gone into this feasibility study to give them that confidence Matt. so from august last year through till now to us being confirmed as a candidate you know we've submitted a a, a lot of information that jim and the team put together as part of the feasibility study that gives them confidence of the potential of, of hosting a major event. Let's face it, a major event of the size and scale of, of Rugby World Cup could have huge benefits, you know, not just for World Rugby as an organization, but the global sport by raising the profile and raising the value, as we've talked about on this show before, of, 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 a, of, of the game within other territories. All right, Jim, I can't not ignore the CEO's uh, line of questioning here. So what, what are the major indicators that came back from the feasibility study that said that this wasn't a nutty idea, that it was actually feasible? I, I think that's, uh, I, we, we started in August, as I said earlier, and, and one of the first things we did was we reached out to key, the key stakeholders in a lot of ways, outside of obviously the rugby community in the United States. We reached out to the host cities, the big cities, uh, the state stadiums in the big cities, and right off the bat, having dealt with most of these people, most of these cities through the soccer 2026 bid, the, the feedback was overwhelmingly positive. So we have over 30 cities engaged and interested in, and part of our bid. We have over 20, 25 to 30 major stadiums who are committed to, to bidding and being part of our bid. Uh, I think that accounts to, and going back to your question about Australia, which we all would, would love to compete against and, and with, obviously for the better of the game, but we could kick their ass. 
Just sick me on them, man. Both Ross and I lived in Australia, so we understand uh, the, the competition pretty well. But I, I think we, we offer something that perhaps as a parallel, the 94 World Cup offered FIFA back in, in the 90s, where still to this day, only with 24 teams and 52 games, to this day, that World Cup has sold more tickets than any World Cup in the history of the FIFA World Cup. And I think rugby sees some parallels there. Obviously, there's a lot of work to do, um, and we're certainly not uh, promising uh, at this point, but there's, there's a lot of potential, as Ross said, for this to be a, a really special event at a special time for the growth of rugby, not only in this country, but globally. Will World Rugby be a little bit more open to say, okay, Soldier Field's okay? Well, I think the, the reality is, is we have up to 20 stadiums that we think will comply with the, the size. Soldier Field is, is one of the candidates, but in their, their dialogue, they're going to have to, for example, I think out of respect of the sport and the requirements, they're going to have to widen their field in the corners to, to comply, as other stadiums are doing too. So we've, we've had that dialogue, uh, the, the FIFA World Cup being preceding either 27 or 31 helps us because those fields need to be widened for the FIFA World Cup as well. So we hope to feed off of that, which gives us, uh, uh, I think, an ability to draw on most of the large, new, modern, uh, technologically advanced stadiums in our country, which, again, could offer a level of service and an experience with, which uh, the Rugby World Cup deserves. Well, I'm excited about this, and I know you guys are excited about this, but unlike 2018 for the Sevens World Cup in San Francisco, USA Rugby is not operating alone. You have Gary Gold, Team USA's head coach, a big shot, openly lobbying for a 2027 World Cup, and you have Major League Rugby owners, who are also some big shots, lobbying as well. How much will the Major League Rugby influence help in wooing world rugby? You're 100% right. It's, it's a completely different scenario from 2018. Although we do have to still bear in mind, we have to do our due diligence. You know, I think I've said on this show before, if things had been dealt with differently in the long-term planning, with things locked in before the hosting for 2018 was even awarded, it would have been a much better outcome for everyone. Um, you know, we have the relevant subject matter expertise here with Jim, you know, Richard, Alex, with various different major event backgrounds. We're not, we're not trying to do this in-house. We've done it properly. It's been funded. And as you say, there are multiple stakeholders. And to me, you know, the, the indications from the cities and regions, sports commissions, um, the venues really do understand the fundamental difference between, you know, the what you're talking about with a regular rugby event and a, a real major event. And it will be a joint venture partnership. It's not just us putting our hand up with a finger in the air and hoping for the best. All right, fellas, we have to take a quick break. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig & Whistle, on West 36th Street. I've been blind since I was four, and I've never seen a beer commercial or a beer label. None of that stuff influences me. I drink beer because of the taste, and my beer is Pabst Blue Ribbon. 
it has a taste on the flavor. What do you think is on the label? I think there's a, a naked woman riding on a unicorn, jumping over fire. Oh, that's good beer. with USA Rugby CEO Ross Young and USA Rugby's executive chair for the Rugby World Cup bid slash bids. And Jim, this is where I want to start with you. We do a show called What Are the Odds on Rugby Wrap-Up where we pick against the odds, Major League Rugby matches. So what are the odds of USA Rugby landing more than one of these bids? I think they're, they're I mean, we'll, we'll present a, a very strong case to World Rugby to, to uh, allow us to host up to two, two events. And I think obviously money, money is a factor. And I think we have a part positive argument there without obviously getting to the details because still preliminary, but I think the opportunity to, to go from the Olympics potentially uh, where we're hosting obviously rugby in Los Angeles uh, to a, a women's world cup followed by men's world cup or have a men's world cup precede the Olympics uh, and, and have that sequence really allows this market, North America in general, this hemisphere to a certain extent, a real shot in the arm for the, the growth of the sport. You know, it's just great to be talking about something positive coming out of USA Rugby. I know that you guys are happy and excited that that's the case right now. What can pundits like yours truly do to get this thing pushed across the finish line? Yeah, if, if, we, if we miss out on this particular cycle, when obviously they're doing a bulk of events together, you know, maybe 20 odd years before we even get the opportunity again. So I think it, you know, it'd be wrong not to put our best foot forward and, and really get behind this because, you know, I firmly believe it's the game changer that we're looking for. No, I, I think, I think the, the potential of the market is, is, is great. And for the growth of women's sports, the history of, of women's sports, in, in our country, uh, going back to the 1999 Women's World Cup, everybody remembers the final of that event. I think there's a real, a real exciting argument we can propose, and, and obviously part of it has to do with our competition to see who we're up against in, in both the men's and the women's bits, I, I think is a factor as well. But I, I think we, we as, a, as a group pulling things together along with the rugby community, along with our stakeholders, stadiums and host cities, I think are going to provide a, a very credible option for, for world rugby in, in both men's and women's uh, World Cups. Jim, I think a selling point for world rugby on this would be to have the developing nations and the established nations in a rugby World Cup rotation. So we had Japan. That was fabulous. France is going to be très magnifique. And then follow that with the USA, you know the USA is going to be a huge hit, and it's going to be a financial windfall for World Rugby. So let's do that. I mean, just rotate them between established nations and developing nations, and it's a win-win for everybody. It just writes itself. Makes makes sense. That, that's And that would be obviously part of the plan and, and definitely a, a solid approach. And as we like to say, too, in, amongst us preparing this bid, there's very few countries in this world who might be able to provide a home field 
environment for anyone who comes and plays in a World Cup here in the United States, whether it's an Islander team or anybody from Europe or Asia. I think the fans will come out as they did in 94 for the Soccer World Cup because they know it's a big deal and they just love the feel for uh, an event like this. And I think they know it's the pinnacle of the sport, which our country recognizes from a market standpoint. And, and I think the potential is really great on, on a lot of factors. Just to jump in here, Matt, you know, we have a huge opportunity on all fronts. The, as Jim alluded to, the Women's Soccer World Cup in 99 to raise the bar um, on the level of delivery for a women's tournament with the, the level of engagement that we have and the history we have as you know, previous winners of a World Cup and, and adding innovation to the men's side as well in combination with you know, the mind-boggling number of, you know, which I think has, has come back very firmly from World Rugby, the, the number of world-class venues and facilities for both training and playing the game, you know, and even at this runway, look at potential opportunities for raising number of the teams. And, you know, we've got the facilities to be able to cope with that and the infrastructure to be able to cope with that as well. So I think the, you know, it, it's not just, let's just deliver another World Cup along the same format. We have this this next six to seven month period in particular to, to argue the case, to push the parameters and, and really show that, you know, if it's done properly with the right with the right backing and partnership between us and World Rugby, we can, you know, we, we can make it. Gentlemen, we're basically out of time, but I wanted to give you each 30 seconds final thoughts. Ross, why don't you go first? Just a huge opportunity, Matt. You know, we've, we've touched on it at various points over the last 25 minutes, half an hour. I think the, we have an opportunity to make a difference. Um, you know, let's, Let's all get behind this and support it. Jim, final thought. What I would add uh, to Ross's points um, is while we're working hard, uh, USA Rugby is working hard. Uh, we, we have stakeholders who are working hard, but it's going to take the whole rugby community to really get behind this and, and make it the success we all think it should be, whether it's the short term for the selection and obviously through the, through the preparation. We'll, we'll need everybody, all fans, all participants, involved and, and supportive to what I think is going to be a great success and a great boost to the sport in this region. Ross, just say the word and unleash me on those Australian muckety mucks and I'll Photoshop them in uncompromising situations and get their bid dismissed as a result, you know, fake, fake rugby news. But in the meantime, my fingers are crossed. I'm very excited about this. And it looks like that giant has awakened. That was for Blaine Scully and Jim Duke Durker. They love that expression, but you know, it's just great to be talking about something positive again. I keep saying it out of USA Rugby. Yeah, that's right. Let's, let's bring it on. And thanks for having us, Matt. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. On that note, we are officially out of time. I want to thank Mr. Ross Young, the CEO of USA Rugby, and James Brown, not the hardest working man in show business, but perhaps the hardest working man in Rugby, the executive chair of USA Rugby's Rugby World Cup bids slash bids. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in. And in the meantime, while you're waiting for something else to happen in USA Rugby, check out some of our other segments, including our Major League Rugby show, our Global Rugby Recap, What Are the Odds, our Major League Rugby Sports Bet show with the Philly Godfather, John Bradshaw Layfield, the WWE legend, and Gifty Bailu, Martial Law, the Zach Attack, and please sign up 
for our American Red Cross Rugby Wrap-Up Blood Donor Team.